All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 99. It's Thursday night. We are going to have a return guest, actually our first return guest. We're going to be talking about HBCU football with Stephen J. Gaither. He founded HBCU Game Day in 2012. It's a website and a Twitter account that we enjoy a lot. And when he created it back, you know, gosh, 10 years ago, it was an effort to create an outlet that offered, you know, authentic and in-depth coverage of HBCU sports and culture and to create more journalistic content. It's since, since then, it's expanded and had a solid st stable of writers and contributors, as well as podcasts and video content. In fact, I just saw our guest in the audience. I'm going to go ahead and let him up. So, obviously, HBCU football has been around for a long time. 1892 was the first black intercollegiate football game played between what's now Johnson C. Smith and Livingstone, who are still playing again now. Gaither's a William Salem State alum himself. We talked about it last time, but I wanted to welcome all of you uh, to come and join us. We'd love to hear from you as well as we go ahead and fire this up. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How about yourself, sir? Doing well. It's been a it's been an exciting season so far, and we're happy to have you back as our our first return guest. Oh wow! I'm I'm honored to be the first one you you liked enough to bring back. Uh, so so that's good. I'll take that. Absolutely. Well, I enjoyed our conversation last time. It was a great one. And we had a lot of good audience participation then. And I, I enjoyed it, especially as we got rolling. It was kind of funny how that kind of slow rolled out as we we're sort of going through and first laying a lot of groundwork. You know, for right. those for those who might not be as familiar with the site, because we did the last one back in, in August before the season even really began. Tell folks, what is HBCU Game Day? Yeah. So HBCU Game Day, we are a uh, multi-tiered digital platform. Uh, covering HBCU sports and culture. Uh, started it back uh, a decade ago, back in 2012. Um, you know, just a blog um, covering HBCUs uh, in the area and nationally. And, uh, you know, since then it's grown and, uh, you know, uh, the staff has grown. My partners, um, Tali Carr and Wally Pitt, have, uh, you know, come in and, 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 you know, help really take this to the next level. And, um, so many other people as well. So I'm just uh, happy to be the, the fire starter there um, as we uh, were rolling into gosh, this is, So this is our 10th year. God, I, I, you know, with the COVID year, I would know it would usually be 11 seasons, but maybe it's 10. Uh, so just really excited. Um, you know, we have uh, not only the website, uh, but also um, we have uh, mo we have, you know, multimedia shows, um, our no huddle uh, show, which started off just kind of us. Uh, doing it uh, weekly as we were going out to games and connecting is now we uh, have a, a sponsor in uh, Nissan. So big shout out to them. Um, it's also a television show. Um, we're producing content with some of the conferences as well. So um, just a lot going on, uh, so many directions. And uh, man, we're just uh, elated to be a part of this, uh, you know, covering this HBCU movement and the growth that we've seen over the past decade is amazing. So really excited. Absolutely. And I've enjoyed you know, reading your site for years now. And again, just as a quick invite, anyone wants to join in, we, we welcome you to the conversation. Just hit request. You know, one thing where we're at now in the season, it's homecoming season. Could you explain, you know, for those who might not know, how big a deal that is to HBCU culture? Yeah, um, you know, it, honestly, it's a little bit of a sore spot for me right now because uh, we didn't actually have our, our homecoming football game. But that's another oh, story. yes, that's like the second year in a row. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, so two but anyway, you know, homecoming is a, a is a great time, you know, because uh, it gives folks a chance to 
to come home. You know, HBCUs um, are a place uh, for folks who've been there and, and not just the black folks that have attended, but also, I believe, you know, just everyone who's attended um, and been there. It's really uh, a family culture for the most part. And people are, uh, you know, it's a, it's a special time in your life. So you get to come back and, you know, relive your undergrad days uh, if you'd like to or you know, just connect with people and see how they're doing now and seeing everyone's progression uh, and things like that. So it's an amazing time. You know, folks, um, you know, some of the biggest attendance numbers in the FCS and Division Two will come out of homecoming games. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's just a major time. And it's uh, it's, uh, you know, it's multiple days of festivals, even though we didn't uh, at Winston-Salem State, we didn't have our football our homecoming game. You know, people were in town and still, you know, had, you know, parties and connected and, and things like that. So uh, it's really something uh, that uh, you just have to kind of have to experience. And then there's everybody's individual experience and a collective experience as well. So I'm um, just really excited. It's a, it's a great time of the year. October into November is uh, it's uh, my favorite time of the year. I wish sometimes we could just bottle it up and share it uh, for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the year. But so we have to treasure it while we have it. You know what? For yourself, I mean, obviously, as you said, it's a sore subject because of the way Winston-Salem State's been kind of you know, hosed a couple of years in a row on how it was going to be scheduled. But assuming it's going on normally, what are your favorite parts of homecoming at Winston-Salem State being an alum? Uh, well, I'll say, um, you know, we have a return to the yard. So that gives our um, that gives our alumni a chance to connect with the current students. And, you know, we'll usually have like a live music. We'll have um We'll usually have live music. We'll have, uh, you know, the band, of course. Uh, and then there's the game, the tailgating, and just, you know, the, the various uh, ways to connect with people socially in person. You know, we see each other all the time on social media, but it's a little bit different when you get a chance to just connect in person, even if it's just a, a two-minute, hey, how you doing, handshake, handshake hug, and, uh, you know, good to see you, and, and it kind of can, can lift your spirits. I know. Um, so it's a, it's a great time and, uh, you know, just experiencing other folks homecoming, the same thing as well. So it's an amazing, one of a kind feeling and just everybody, no matter if you went to school there or not, if you go to a school on homecoming, you're probably going to feel like you're at home. So it's an amazing thing for anybody uh, to experience. I saw in the article that you guys published about the upcoming game, you know, uh, Campbell's heading out to play, you know, <laughs> they're the homecoming opponent again. You know, they were Jackson State's homecoming opponent. Now they're going to be North Carolina A&T's homecoming opponent. And then Coach Mike Minter said he's going to rank the which one was better. <laughs> Did I read that right? Or <laughs> yeah, Campbell has uh, Campbell is uh, has an interesting schedule this year. So they were at Jackson State's homecoming, which was uh, got with fifty two thousand people. Um, and Campbell plays in the yeah, stadium. Yeah, crazy for that game. Yeah, what are they? The fifth? They're uh, five thousand. They seat five thousand down there in Bowie's Creek. Uh, so. Um, the biggest stadium they've ever played in, their SID told us. And then they turn around this week and they get a chance to play North Carolina A&T, um, you know, who's, you know, their stadium is, uh, you know, seats 21, over 21K, and there'll be probably 40,000 people in the area uh, at some point in time. Uh, so it's just an amazing atmosphere as well. And then it's also it's also a uh, Big South game for them. And then going forward, it'll be a CAA game for both teams. So, um, yeah, Campbell's getting a little baptism in HBCU. They've also played North Carolina Central at home, and then they'll travel to finish up the season. I think at Delaware State. So, um, you know, they, um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's been fun. You know, Mike Minner um, really embraced uh, playing against uh, Jackson State and Coach Prime, and those folks were really, uh, you know, they they were, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough game against the number five team in the country. Now um, they came out on the losing side of it, but they're hoping that they can, uh, you know, compete with A and T. Both of those teams. 
uh, were expected to be one and two in the Big South. So um, it's going to be a great time. I, I won't be in Greensboro for it. I'll be down in Jackson for uh, Jackson State Southern, but uh, it, it's a great. It's guaranteed to be a great time, and uh, should be a competitive game too. So, yeah. Then you know, there's the football aspect of homecoming, uh, where you know, uh, some folks are now feeling that it is a uh, insult to be the homecoming opponent, uh, which is also always feeling but hearing a lot of more people talking about it uh vocally um you know homecoming you generally you know again you're, you're gonna get your biggest crowd your most alumni you're gonna want them to feel good about where the program is going so you usually want to kind of beat up on a cupcake uh but a lot of teams this year have uh you know um as we say in the hbcu world have had their homecomings becoming home goings um you know, home going <laughs> would be a funeral um, because they have uh, they've had some tough opponents, so uh, it's uh, it's been fun. It's just always fun every year to see kind of how things play out. So, um, great extension of what's already a great game. You know, you brought up something because obviously, you know, North Carolina A and T and Hampton are heading to the Colonial. How are those fan bases, you know, handling? Are you guys having trouble hearing moves? me? Oh, I can hear you. Oh, do we have a, a small technical difficulty? Can you hear me, <laughs> Stephen? Um, I don't know if folks in the audience can hear me. Uh, they probably can. I assume. Oh, oh, looks like he had a technical difficulty. We'll get him back up in a moment. And by the way, as we're getting Stephen back up, any of y'all want to join us, please just hit request. In fact, I now see Stephen. I'm going to add him again. We'd love to have you join us and join this conversation. All right. Let's see here. And it's so funny. There's a time delay on some people's Twitter feeds, the way this kind of works. I learned it. If you ever go live, you'll notice there'll be like a time jump and you'll suddenly like jump into the middle of conversation. Oh, hey, cool. We got someone else coming up. And uh, Steven, I think you're up here too. Feel free to unmute. I know there was kind of a small hiccup there. Yeah, I'm back. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, connection's a little uh, a little wired. But yeah, um, a great time. Homecoming is a great time. And it's just, uh, you know, when you get a great game and uh, you get a great band and, and uh, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. So um, we're in the middle of that season as well as, you know, playing for championships. So there's a lot on the line, uh, you know, in all of the conferences, uh, particularly the SWAC as well as uh, at the D2 level, the CIAA and the SIC. So um, exciting weekend of games we're looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like we have someone who joined us up here as well. Herbert L. Seward III, how are you doing? Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm a HBCU football and culture contributor for um, HBCU Digital Network. Um, Me and Steve kind of run in the same types of circles (laughs) when it comes to covering you know, HBCU athletics. And I think uh, uh, having a space like this tonight um, is really cool thing, Um, particularly right around this time of year. Uh, Steve's absolutely right. Um, I mean, I've, you know, in a lot of the writings I've had, I've done, you know, there's not really a more unique game day experience for a fan that isn't used to HBCU sports and culture than HBCU football. Um, whether it's the SWAC or the MEAC or the SIAC or the CIAA, um, it's a very, it's a very integrated experience in terms of, um, you know, fan participation, fan engagement, you name it. Um, that's what HBCUs, you know, football is pretty much all about. Um, if you've ever been to a really, um, a, a really engaged game day environment like the Jackson State or Grambling or or any number of schools, you you know, you walk into the stadium and, you know, you can immediately see the differences than what you would normally see at um, a more mainstream 
a football fan experience. So if anybody out there ever gets the chance to do it, you know, do it. Absolutely. You know, one question I had for you, Stephen, I think this is when the audio kind of sort of cut out for you, is you, know, you got Hampton in North Carolina, A&T, they're about to join the Colonial Athletic Association. How are their fans handling? Because they've been, they've been moving around and bouncing around a little bit, although I'm pretty sure this seems like a pretty solid, you know, destination for those two programs. But how are their fans handling that? Well, you know, in my observation, I think, um, you know, fans uh, on both, I think fans on, uh, on both ends are a little, a little weary. There is some optimism. It's, it's a, mix, a mixed emotion because, you know, we'll take Hampton first. Hampton was the first, uh, you know, to hop out of the MEAC. Well, they weren't the first to hop out of the MEAC, but they, you know, to, to leave for a, a predominantly, uh, predominantly white uh, conference in the Big South. And so, you know, that took a lot of folks by storm. Uh, and there was a lot of shock there, uh, you know, so they were in the Big South for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, there was a, you know, there was a, you know, on the football side, for sure, there was uh, some hesitancy. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, we just had a, a great piece by uh, Chantel Powell, um, you know, who is a Hampton uh, native, uh, I'm sorry, a Hampton alumna. And, you know, she was talking, talking to them about how they feel about it. And I think, you know, a lot of folks would, if they had their choices, if you polled alumni, a lot of them would like to go back to the MEAC, but I think of the ones who, uh, who either you know, re- don't think that that's going to happen or are okay with them not being in the MEAC. I think um, they are, they feel like the CAA is a better, more stable conference, but uh, for them and as well as North Carolina A&T, there are questions as to whether or not uh, they will have the, uh, you know, how will they have the financial backing to really be there and be successful? Um, you know, when you look at uh, CAA budgets, I mean, even North Carolina A&T, which has had, you know, one of the larger HBCU budgets, um, the CAA budgets are, are quite larger. A lot of that is, you know, due to having more sports and, of course, more staff. Uh, and so, you know, there is some question as to whether or not, you know, for, for both schools, you know, the financial commitment that's going to be needed for them to be competitive, um, you know, is that going to be there? And, you know, um, so it's it's going to be really interesting. Hampton is in the CAA competing this year now um they do have one win against albany and uh you know they've had some other games where they've been you know kind of competitive uh hampton is a school um you know is an interesting program itself i mean they you know they went you know 50 plus years without winning the championship uh in their d2 days and and were really you know not really competitive for a long time and then when they decided to ramp up for division one uh, their program went through about a decade uh, where in Division One and Division Two where they were really good. Um, but, you know, since then, that then has come down and uh, they're really more of a basketball school at this point. Uh, and so football, uh, even in the MEAC, wasn't really making numbers that would, you know, knock down your socks. They weren't pulling in, um, you know, FAMU or North Carolina A&T like numbers, even when they were in the MEAC. Uh, and so uh, football wise and so. I think, you know, some folks lost interest as well when they moved to the Big South. Uh, the CAA, uh, you know, it'll be interesting because now you're going to have A&T there. Um, they also, I think one thing that fans, you know, they don't necessarily think about it in this way, but both A&T and uh, Hampton still play, have, you know, uh, home and homes with their big rivals, right? So North Carolina A&T still um, has been playing South Carolina State, their, their longtime MEAC rival. Of course, they've got North Carolina Central, their their big in-state rival, uh, and then also Norfolk State. Um, and if you think about 
you know, kind of the way the MEAC was before the breakup, those were kind of some of the schools that, you know, may bring a crowd. Um, you know, outside of that, maybe Florida A&M, but Florida A&M would rarely bring their band, which is a huge draw for them. Um, and, you know, so I think they're still able to keep a lot of those ties in the non-conference. And I don't know how, you know, glued folks were to games against, you know, Delaware State or, you know, um, you know, some schools like that. So um, I think fans, you know, fans don't like change, especially when it doesn't result in winning. It, it really gets loud. Um, but, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years if they can become competitive in the CAA. And as time goes on, because, you know, they've changed conferences before and, and people weren't necessarily happy about that initially. So there, there's a lot that goes behind all of that, I would say. Absolutely. Herbert, you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I think the, the move for both A&T and Hampton to the CAA, um, from a fan's perspective, I think it's a it's a little bit of a double edged sword. Um, strictly speaking, you know, in terms of football, um, you know, I think Steve's absolutely right. There are a lot of regional traditional rivalries that fans are still kind of, you know, wrapping their mind around not necessarily engaging in on a regular basis like they would normally do. Although, you know, um, as you stated, there are, um, you know, there are going to be provisions for, you know, certain rivals, like for example, A&T, uh, A&T in Hampton, A&T in North Carolina Central who's in the MEAC. Um, you know, on occasion, you know, A&T in Winston-Salem, his school, but I'm not sure, you know, how feasible that would be from a football perspective when it, you know, comes to scheduling because of the, the, you know, the, the kind of restrictions that, you know, FCS teams might have in terms of scheduling, you know, Division II opponents. Um I think also some other considerations outside of football, you know, probably have to be taken into consideration, um, particularly for Hampton, you know, in that Hampton Roads region, it was, it's actually, you know, m more of a geographical fit for them in terms of the rivals they have in the immediate area in the Tidewater area with, you know, with William and Mary and the like. You know, Norfolk State is still right down the road, so that rivalry is still intact for both football and basketball. So, it's um, you know, it's a it's going to be very interesting to see how those things play out in the CAA for both of those schools. Like I said, I think you know some of the considerations go beyond football. Uh, basketball is one of those considerations where I think uh, you know both Hampton and A&T have a real opportunity to. Um, you know, to kind of rewrite their own legacy, so to speak, in the conference. But from a football perspective, I think both of them, you know, some people say that, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve for the team, for both programs. But, you know, I think, honestly, both programs have a have a good deal to bring to the conference from a football perspective. So. That makes sense. You know, Stephen, could you explain, because it, we've sort of touched lightly on this in, in conversations in the past, what, how does the black, for those who aren't familiar, how does the black college football national championship get selected? Is it just a celebration bowl now, or is it still kind of a, a poll among media? Well, that is, uh, that depends on who you ask um, <laughs> and what year you ask. Uh, but, you know, in, in general, 
um, you know, again, you know, just the history of it. And we got an article, uh, you know, we got an article that uh, was written by Brian Simpkins a while back. You know, the, the, the HBCU national title, that whole idea was brought out of the fact that, you know, HBCUs weren't able to, um, weren't a part of the, the national conversation as far as championships. So the black media had to crown, uh, you know, basically the, the, their own version of the AP poll. Uh, and so that's been around for since 1920. And so, you know, throughout that, you've had a lot of different, you know, and there have been various and different polls. Some have been, you know, more highly regarded than others. So, you know, there, you know, it's just like kind of in the AP, in the AP championship, they'll have, you know, you may have some years where there are multiple teams claiming them. Um, and for a long time, you know, everybody's kind of lumped together. And then, you know, as Division One and Division Two kind of congealed and kind of turned into what they have now, um, there was still the divide as to whether you put them all together um, whether you do them separately. Uh, and so uh, it's it's uh, continuing to evolve. And I think, uh, you know, there, you know, obviously when, uh, you know, when North, when ESPN decided that they were going to do the Celebration Bowl and they got the MEAC and SWAC champions, I think what they sold them on was making this the national championship game. Um, but, you know, again, that didn't take into account a lot of other factors. And so, um you know, generally, uh, the Celebration Bowl champion has been considered at least a Division One HBCU champion. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, I think, uh, you know, last year was one year, was the kind of year that I, that was one real reason I never really got comfortable calling it a national championship game because, you know, it's, it, you know, for a lot of different reasons. So, I, you know, MEAC and SWAC, as far as it goes, FCS, they do consider it the national championship game, but... Um, you know, again, it's uh, it, it depends on who you ask, but yeah, it's 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 definitely that's where you want to get if you if you're eligible for it because I think it is. Um, I prefer it to the FCS playoffs. Uh, you know, haven't been around it, but I could see why um, some folks may feel differently. Right. No, no, that makes sense. I, and I can't help but think of like you know Tennessee State. I don't think's ever been a part of a HBCU conferences, has it? I mean, I've always knew it was kind of a bit of a you know, it's path to, you know, through sports. I know they were NAIA. We had that conversation, you know, last time we were here. Uh, but, and then now, you know, you've got the, we were just, as I mean, it came to me as we were talking about like the teams that are moving to like the colonial athletic and where they fit into this. Do they kind of, you know, does that mean they're no, they, they've sort of voluntarily stepped away from, from qualifying for it just by nature of not being an HBCU conference? It's interesting. Yeah. I, in, in my in my eyes, I would say um, it does make it more difficult. It does make it more difficult. Um, you know, again, that would be the simple thing is just to say, hey, these two teams won and they, they're the national champion. Uh, but again, you know, um, when you say HBCU and you don't make a difference, I'm I, personally I'm fine with saying D1 and a D2 champ. I think that's fine. But I think if you're only putting HBCU around it, um, it, it kind of makes it a little bit different, but that, that, that's me. And, and there are other people that feel that way as well. And some that don't, but I think, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, if you, whenever, if you ever have a year where, you know, Hampton or, or A&T, you know, gets really good in the CAA, they beat all their, 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 uh, HBCU opponents and, you know, they make a run in the playoffs. I've always felt like you can't really say that they aren't the champion especially if they're winning multiple games in a postseason. I, I just I just don't really see that when you only have to win one game. But, you know, that that's me. Nobody they don't pay me. They don't nobody's <laughs> paying me yet to make those decisions. But uh and and I think it I think in a way it, it makes it a little bit messier, but you know, 
for me, I like it. It's kind of it, it makes things fun, you know. Then you get the <laughs> arguments as to why and why not, and you know, some of them are better than others. But yeah, absolutely. Hey, Herbert, I know you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, how we come to that decision <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, who a national champion is, and um, you know, in terms of HBCU football. Um, one thing that we can say, one thing that we have to really kind of address, particularly at the FCS levels, that you know, a lot of the Celebration Bowl itself kind of came out because of some of the financial constraints that a lot of us um, face when we, you know, choose to engage in the in the FCS playoffs in terms of cost incurred things of that nature. Um, that's you know, that's part of the motivation um, for you know, the Celebration Bowl in general, you know, particularly for two major conferences. Um, I think ultimately, um, you know, the fact you got A&T and, and Hampton um, and Tennessee State that are in, you know, non-HBCU conferences, I think there's still going to be a real, you know, we, we don't see it yet, but I still think there's going to be a move in the future to really include those those teams in that particular structure, how it's going to happen. I'm not too sure. Um, but I think, you know, again, Steve was absolutely right. You know, depending on who you ask, uh, when you say HBC national champion, it can be all encompassing. Um, whether we're talking about, um, you know, FCS, you know, HBCUs or the CIAA or the SIAC, um, at the D2 level. And a lot of times, depending on who you ask, you know, or polls you see, you might see those things integrated. Um, but that's purely subjective. Um, you know, I'm cool with the delineation uh, between, you know, FCS and D2 or Division One or Division Two for HBCUs. I just think it's, um, I think it's uh, something that could be, it, it's going to have to get clearer, you know, as we go. So, um but yeah, it's always interesting for us to talk about it because the scenarios are practically endless when it comes to it. So it reminds us of what the you know traditional poll system used to be like. You know, we we talked about it the other day. It was like you know FBS. You know, when it used to be the coaches poll and the AP poll were the only decider, and the bowls weren't even that organized. So you had teams that just never played each other. Uh, it's for the fun of it, I guess. The subjectiveness of it. You know, I want to just kind of turn a little bit towards D2 football because, you know, we've been talking a bit about FCS. The team that surprised me, I keep looking at, we've, when we've talked about it before and we talked about it when we had um, a D2 show, and actually I see both the guys who were on the D2 show, Chris and Chuck in the audience. So, um, But Virginia Union, they have just been impressing week after week. They had that o- overtime win over Bowie State a couple weeks ago. But they've and you know they knocked out Valdosta State, it, it you know a reigning champion. So it was actually not a reigning champion, but you know a, a, a typical champion contender. What do you make of them? Uh, I mean, I think uh, you know they have been a program uh, the last God, I, I guess the last eight years or so. They've just kind of been. Uh, they've just kind of been like I wouldn't even say the bridesmaid. They were like you know they were like the usher. Um, you know, they were like the usher at the wedding. Like they just, they were there and, you know, they look cute, but you know, um, when it came time, when it came time for business, uh, 
you know, mostly Bowie State and then, you know, and, and at times Virginia State uh, have foiled them uh, even when they're having really good seasons. And so, uh, you know, hey, uh, it, it's now it's now uh, their time, I believe, I think, you know, with Bowie State, you know, obviously, you know, you talk about the, the connectivity between the HBCUs and uh, just how the college football business is, is gone. You know, you look at Bowie State. Um, you know, they built a great program under Damon Wilson. They gave him time. They gave him time and he went from, you know, having a, an average program to where they were really outstanding and really, you know, really high up there. Um, and, you know, I, I often believe that, you know, if the CIAA hadn't been switched to Super Region, region 2, which is the toughest football region for some reason, while still staying in Super Region 1 for the basketball, which is the toughest basketball region after uh, Winston-Salem State made their run, I think you could have seen them in the national championship game as well. Cause I think they're, you know, they were that kind of program, but uh, coach uh, Wilson, you know, you know, Tyrone Wheatley leaves and uh, they can blame Tyrone Wheatley. Tyrone Wheatley leaves Morgan state. And then coach Wilson goes over to uh, over to Morgan state and uh, coach Jackson, Kyle Jackson goes from being, uh, you know, from being a, a position coach to being the DC to being the interim head coach in, in a couple of months. And uh, he's done a really great job. Uh, and they were, uh, they had some bumps in the road, but, um, you know, they'll be back uh, as a program, I think, as well. Um, and so, you know, Virginia State, not quite there yet either with the new head coach. And so uh, Virginia Union kind of keeping that consistency going, um, you know, they're just there. And, and, and Jada, the monster that is Jada Byers, man, you know, um, you know, I, I had a chance to watch Tariq Cole for, you know, four years at North Carolina A&T, the things he did. And, uh, you know, in his own way, Jada Byers is kind of, uh, that same kind of guy. I mean, they, you know, he's he's you know five six, five seven, uh, soaking wet, uh, you know, just uh, but just explosive, and they just keep handing him the ball, and he just keeps taking it. He's like it's like Allen Iverson, you know, just they keep handing him the ball, he keeps taking it in the paint and coming out of there with scores. So, um, you know, he's really on pace to get two thousand yards realistically, um, and so uh, you know they've got a mammoth offensive line with some with some guys that I think are millennials, but you know, Hey, that's neither here nor there. Everybody's got to get it, how we get it. Um, and you know, a great defense as well. And, and I think if that passing game can prove adequate, then I think they've got a real chance in a year where Valdosta state isn't Valdosta state to, you know, there, there's no limit on where they could go once they get into the playoffs. So uh, I think Virginia union, they just kind of bided their time. And, uh, and, and now, is their time if they get past uh, Chawan this week. God, I hope they get past Chawan. I'm sorry, I said that. Yes, <laughs> we we won't tell anyone. No, um, you know, let's. Hey, Herbert, let's go to you, and then let's go to to Chris Ferguson's brought up here too. And I know he, he it's gonna be fun to hear from him. He's also a writer at HBCU Game Day as well as uh, DTFootball.com. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, Chris is the expert. Um, but I, I'll just say this from, you know, covering Bowie State and covering the CIAA, um. This Virginia Union team has a real, a really good chance of making a deep run in the D2 playoffs. Um, in comparison to, you know, Damon Wilson's team that we had last year, uh, there are a lot of similarities, but I think they're built um, to be able to grind games out. Um, I think Steve mentioned Jada Byers. Um, it, if he's not a shoo-in for the Harlan Hill Award, I don't know who is, honestly. The guy's been that impressive. Um, 
and we're talking about HBC football in general at the D2 level, uh, I mean, we, we talk a lot about what Virginia Union's done, but, you know, on the other side, in the other conference in the SIAC, uh, you've got Benedict um, that is, you know, running undefeated. And, you know, they have really been super impressive. You know, that region two is chock full of HBCU football. Um, and it's a shame because, you know, pretty much all the teams that are there in that in that region are are playoff worthy teams um, if they were in other regions. So it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, who makes the cut going down the stretch. And, you know, we don't really like talking about Valdosta. Um, they're a bad word to us in HBCU circles simply because, you know, they've been kind of HBCU killers in the playoffs over the years. And the fact that, you know, Virginia Union really um, not just beat them, but they did so in a manner that really kind of sent a statement. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, people looking at that Virginia, you know, at that Virginia Union team, looking at that Benedict team in SIAC, uh, there's a lot to really look forward to down the stretch. I think both of those guys, both of those squads can have a real impact in the D2 playoffs. Chris, what what are your thoughts? And welcome up. Good evening, everybody. Um, well, you know, Virginia Union is just really interesting because they, they, they just had a hard time sort of getting over the hump. And the model that they have on offense um, is something that, has been in stone for a while uh, when you had like before Jada Byers, you had Tobias Taylor who, you know, he also rushed for over 1500 yards and led division two and uh, total in, uh, in uh, uh, all purpose yards. And most of that was rushing uh, his last year at Virginia union. And it, it would have been great to see how that would have played out in 2020 before before COVID happened and he went to Notre Dame College um you know so yeah they've kind of always just been kind of there they just haven't been able to put all the pieces together and this year feels like for Virginia Union they finally got those pieces together and I think the difference between this team Virginia Union's team and Bowie State's team is that they're much more well-rounded on offense and we kind of seen team after team, whether it's a Fayetteville state, whether uh, who has a really good defense, whether it's Bowie, um, try to force um, Virginia union to pass the ball. And what, what a lot of people are starting to see is Jakari Grant, the quarterback is actually a very efficient passer. He's, he's leading the conference in, in efficiency. And so, you know, that just speaks to just how many different weapons that they actually have. What what was really interesting about the Valdosta game was they started the game wanting to sort of like be more of a um, very balanced team. And I think they realized during the game that we could actually run the ball really well. So they tried, they switched up the offense and went from more spread look to a traditional eye and they just started running the ball. And I think that just shows the how flexible and how many options they, they have on offense. And that's just something that, 
you know, like Bowie State, they kind of got to that point um, later in the season, last season, with Khalil Wilkins and and and, um, and, and the quarterback. But I think Virginia Union kind of figured it out a little sooner in the year, which was, like, great to see. So, to me, I just think that, yeah, I think that they have the opportunity to go pretty far. They're going to certainly have some obstacles, likely Fayetteville State, um, if they get past this week, uh, round two, uh, which should be a pretty physical game. And then, you know, the draw in the playoffs is not going to be a, a um, an easy draw in, in Super Region uh, 2. Oh, I so wish I had Ink Sports on here. You know who I'm talking about. That guy loves his <laughs> figuring out who's on for for all of this, you know, the playoffs and, and, and predicting who's going to end up where at. You know, while we're kind of talking about you know, D2 level. And, and okay, okay, I just saw, it's so funny, for a moment there, Steven, he's had a little bit of a, a hiccup with his system. So he kind of vanished, and, and now I see he reappeared. I think I got you back up here. Steven, are you back I up? Am, I am. Yeah, no problem. I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to keep with D2 since <laughs> Steven vanished. <laughs> you know, one thing I actually wanted to ask you, Steven, before, and I do want to get back to D2 football, but one of the other kind of ongoing stories that I've paid attention to. I don't think it's like a national story. It's more like my own personal interest because I find scheduling fascinating for teams. Mm -hmm. And Howard has had one of the most strange schedules I've seen in ages because they were like road warriors up until this past weekend. And then they unleashed, you know, their ability on, on Delaware State at home for homecoming. And, you know, we were talking about homecoming earlier. My goodness, I loved some of the videos that were coming out of, you know, out of Washington for that, you know, head of that game. But, you know, they, they started on the road. They played three road games, two classics that were far away in Atlanta and New York City. And then, you know, they played at Yale. And then they played Harvard at a new – I mean, okay, it was a home game at Audi Field. But, you know, it's cross town if you know D.C. So right. wh what do you make of that schedule? Well, you know, Howard, you know, what can you say about them? Those guys are just different, um, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and they – for the most part, they love it. Uh, you know, they're, they're just different, you know. So their uh, philosophy has been, uh, you know, and you kind of seen this in the SWAC where um, Grambling, you know, used to play a lot of classic games and be on the road a lot and not really play a lot of home games. Grambling typically only gets four home games. You know, you have the Bayou Classic and then they'll play a lot of classics on the road. But Howard, you know, I guess, you know, they were kind of on a, um, you know, you know they had maybe the they had maybe the most academic schedule of a non of a non Ivy League school as far as yeah like, Harvard uh, and probably Morehouse Yale and Harvard back yeah. to back <laughs> yeah yeah um you know so that's kind of you know so that's kind of how they've you know been using their program um you know uh you know playing these types of t playing those types of games and you know Howard I I, told, I asked I you know I asked the coach this year because every the thing with them is every year, you know, they come to media day, they look good, you know, nice looking guys, you know, they're really smart and they give you this great, you know, pocket presentation about what it means to be a Howard man and, you know, and, and, and the expectations and all of this stuff. And, you know, they play really hard, but they just find ways to lose games. Um, and they just every and then every year they turn into Howard. Um, and <laughs> so. Um, you know, they've had they've had some close calls. The Miak Swag game that was never ending that I was at, uh, God, which you know, it wasn't over until like one thirty in the morning. Um, you know, that was a game where they could have won. Uh they had a close call against Hampton as well. 
Um, I think the game against uh, I think the game against Yale was pretty close as well. Um, you know, so they have some potential there. Uh, head coach Larry Scott, as much as I like to kid about uh, Howard, I do like head coach Scott, what he's trying to build with the program. You know, he's been at the FBS level and he's trying to, you know, turn Howard into, uh, you know, into a, into a respectable football program. Um, because, you know, most of the 129 plus years they've been there, they kind of haven't been that. Um, you know, they've had spurts here and there. Um, but, you know, there's been questions about their commitment to commitment to football, uh, the cost and things like that. Uh, but, you know, he, he's got some things going. They got a big win against Delaware State last week. And so right now they're the, they're tied for first place in the MEAC. Um, you know, this is still early. That was their first game. And they're playing. They play Norfolk State this week who only has one win, so they could easily be 2-0 and or they could turn back into Howard and be 1-1. One and one. You just never know. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, this the, the current MEAC that we have, which is only six teams, um, you know, it, it can kind of make for some quirky situations. So, um, you know, Howard is, uh, you know, they, they've got to feel good about how they performed uh at homecoming uh you know if they go and beat norfolk you know they're gonna have uh you know everybody plays everybody in the MEAC. you can't hide from anybody um i believe that they south carolina state does go to them uh and then they got they got to go to north carolina central who's a who's you know been been pretty good this year uh as well so you know we'll see howard the, the jury is still out right now they're still howard but um you know Good win for them, and uh, I think it gave them a lot of confidence after, you know, so many close losses. Sounds like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Howard, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the program's won, uh, you know, you know, three conference championships in 100-plus years. So, you know, they for all their prestige, they just have not been a football power. Uh, but, you know, they've had some spurts where they've had some growth, and so we'll see if uh, Coach Scott and his guys can turn it around this year and uh you know give south carolina state a run for their money absolutely hey herbert what's up yeah as a native washingtonian as growing up in the shadow of howard i'm gonna be a little bit less genuine generous um i mean howard in my opinion really hasn't been consistent since you know willie jeffries was there and we're talking about the late 80s early 90s type of deal um now, I think, you know, for those folks that are familiar with the program and familiar with some of the challenges that those guys have in terms of recruiting, um, you know, I mean, that kind of goes with the territory. But um, I think Steve was absolutely right in terms of this year. They had opportunities to win games and they just didn't capitalize. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they played my you know, my alma mater, Alabama State, in the first game, classic, and that was a that was a really even game. Um, you know, they have talent on the roster. They have talent at the skill positions there. It's just a matter of, you know, finding ways to lose, as, you know, Steve so eloquently put it. Um, I think ultimately, though, how that school invests in the program is going to say a lot about its ceiling in terms of its growth. And, you know, right now that's just kind of hard to say the jury's out on it. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to just shift back towards division two, and this is actually something I remember I wanted to ask uh, in our last conversation, Stephen, and we didn't get a chance to, cause it was a, you know, it was fun, but we ran out of time, but there's been a lot of, 
you know, coaching shifts in the Division II level in the, the CIAA and the, in the CAC. And now that we're kind of, you know, midway through the season, by the way, I should take a second and, and acknowledge Tony Coxon, uh, coach of uh, Bluefield State, is, is in the audience. I just want to acknowledge that. And, and I respect all the work you're doing, uh, getting that program off the ground. There was an article we talked about last time that was on HBCU Game Day about homecoming last year. And it's it's still one of my favorite articles I've read. But all that said, you know, what do we who of the new head coaches have have seemed to have done the, you know, seem to be in the doing the best so far, given their, you know, this new season? Uh, I would say the first name that jumps out at you is Sean Gibbs uh, of uh, Fort Valley State. Uh, he's a guy he played in the CIAA back in the 90s, he's a really good running back. Uh, and then. Uh, in the 2000s, he joined the staff at North Carolina Central with Rod Broadway, um, you know, when he was there. And then he followed, uh, you know, he went with Coach Broadway to Grambling and then came back to North Carolina at A&T. And, uh, you know, he helped he helped them just churn out running backs. Obviously, everybody knows Tariq Cohen. Um, you know, he's the guy that discovered him. Um, he is uh, and, and coached him up. But also, you know, at one point, I think A&T had the leading rusher in the MEAC for maybe six years in a row. And Sean Gibbs is the coach there. So, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, he, um, you know, was was interested and he uh, interviewed for quite a few jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and at the beginning of the cycle, he, he, you know, he still was on the outside looking in. But what happened was uh, Maurice Flowers, uh, Johnson C. Smith uh, alumnus and, uh you know, decided that uh, once once, uh, you know, John C. Smith decided that they were going to go a different different way. He decided to come home, which created an opening at Fort Valley. And uh, that was Sean Gibbs's chance. And he's gone and, and they're having a great season. They're seven and one. Um, you know, they still have a chance at the playoffs. Uh, tough loss to um, tough loss to Benedict, who who's really playing well. Um, but, you know, so he so his team is right there. Um, I also look at, uh, you know, Virginia State, uh, you know, their head coach, uh, Frazier, uh, you know, started out at Bowie State, uh, went over to Prairie View and got them a SWAC championship for the first time in like forever, um, was over at North Carolina Central. And then uh, things didn't work out over there. Uh, he'd been out of the game doing some assistant coaching, doing some analysts. He was an AD at a school and uh, Virginia State, um, you know, another situation where they still had a coach heading into last season. I mean, heading into this year before uh, Reggie Barlow got the call from the XFL. So um, they're and so he so they're doing well. I think they're I think they are uh, they're four and three right now. They, uh, you know, were rolling until they ran into a Bowie State wall and then they lost to Jawan. But um, they're they're you know, they, they were putting their program together very late. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's quite a few guys. Uh, but those are the guys that, you know, of, of year one who are really uh, standing out make the impact and then of course miles uh, uh i'm sorry reginald ruffin at, at tuskegee um you know he came over from miles he turned them into a powerhouse and he's over there he said he's only coached one year and uh you know so far they're five and two they won five games in a row um they are in the driver's seat for the siec west and could very well be in the champion he could very well be back in the championship game um you know in his first and it appears only year at tuskegee um, you know, that program had, uh, you know, was really good for a couple of years, was competitive um, and the D2 playoffs and made and made some 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 wins and some runs. Uh, and then they had fallen off. And, uh, you know, Coach Ruffin has come in and 
uh, really established himself in his program there at Tuskegee. And now they're looking like the Tuskegee that, you know, folks know and uh, and, and have come to love uh, you know, uh, everywhere other than Miles. You know, Chris, I would be remiss if I didn't ask your thoughts. I was going to actually throw out two other names. Um, the the head coach at Lane, I think it's his first year as well. And um, they're four and four. They got a, a win over uh, FCS school from Tennessee State. And um, the the games that they've lost, even though they're four and four, have been um, not – they're not blowouts. They lost, you know, 14 nothing to Benedict, who's undefeated. And, um, and, and then they lost, you know, by – like like less than seven points to um, Pine Bluff. So, I mean, they've been a very competitive squad, um, and, and I, I think it would be an injustice not to not – to, uh, I think his name is Byron Brown, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and then Kyle Jackson, I mean, for what he's done at Bowie State, um, given all the transfers out, um, out of the program, and trying to figure out, you know, well, what do you really do? How do you get this program up and going when you lose a lot of the coaching staff um, and uh, you're basically handed the keys and, and had to figure it out and, you know, came within overtime to, you know, losing the Virginia Union in overtime, but also getting a win against, you know, a, a top 25 school in New Haven. So I think that, you know, that's another, you know, brand new, um, head coach that definitely um, deserves some shine, even though, you know, a lot of people may look at Bowie State and say, well, they've fallen off. I mean, given the circumstances, I think he's done remarkably well. It's when I know sometimes for, so historically, gosh, I, I was just thinking earlier today, one of the earliest AMAs, uh, Ask Me Anythings, we did on Reddit, they're not quite as, it's kind of funny, Reddit keeps tweaking the site and if I, I mean, I'm not saying I would go, you know, Elon Musk on Reddit, but I mean, they, they, they need some, they need some work uh, back behind the scenes on, on the site itself. But the, uh, that we actually had the athletic director and it was a tough job, Barbara Scotia. And, you know, they, they didn't even have football, but I said, you know, we'd love to, to chat with you. And he was really up for it. His name was Jonathan Sisk. And he moved on a few years ago. I think he's somewhere in Chicago now, also working as a, um, an athletic director, but it just brought to kind of a head the struggle sometimes for some of the more, you know, especially the private HBCUs. I always think of obviously Virginia University at Lynchburg. It's you guys had a great article about them on HBCU game day, you know, this year and kind of the struggle to sort of keep that program going and, and keep the university going. And it's kind of a tandem fight. You know, what is that? What is that struggle like for for programs like that, and and especially I think you know keeping I guess more towards college football, you know for VUL, what's it like for them, and do you see? It, does it seem to be working? Well, uh, VUL, um, what can we say? You know those guys, they've been around. I think their programs have been around maybe maybe a little bit over a decade, a little bit longer than I've been doing game day. Um, you know, and you know they've been trying to find the right formula. They started uh, off with. Uh, Willard Bailey, who's uh, one of the all-time winningest coaches in CIAA history, had a great career at Virginia Union uh, and won some games at Norfolk State. And he took on the job of trying to build that program. And, uh, you know, they they had some times where they, you know, would be kind of competitive, you know, after, you know, being the homecoming fighter and things like that. And, you know, I think, um, you know, they are just – they are the utilitarian uh, football program for HBCUs, you know, 
Um, you know, if you want a homecoming game, you're going to call Virginia Union, uh, Virginia Lynchburg. You're going to call, uh, you know, if you need a game, if you're in a game at a pinch and somebody's pulled out on your schedule, VUL, if they're free, they're going to come. Um, I think that there is a place for them in the ecosystem of, of HBCU football, um, just because, uh, you know, they'll play, they'll play anybody anywhere, as they said in the article with uh, Skip Foreman. Uh, if you guys get a chance to check that out, uh, it was a great article that he had with them. He's had a couple of great articles with them. Um, you know, just they're not afraid to play anybody. And, you know, sometimes you just sometimes, you know, you just need warm bodies. However, um, I don't know if you guys saw we uh, did a we we tweeted the video that the punter from there. From, they've had some talented players. They have been able to get some talent. You know, guys, you know, so many people play football or want to play football. And uh, they slip through the cracks. You know, maybe they're not D1 talent or maybe they are. And, you know, they just have uh, some circumstances or some make some decisions that may hurt them. Uh, but they sometimes they need a place to go. And I think football often, you know, we talk about wins and losses, but also I think it saves a lot of people or, or it, it gives a lot of, uh, of young men a reason to, uh, you know, to do something, to try to do something positive, to stay in school, to, uh, you know, just kind of keep them maybe off of the streets and I, I think Dean Sanders talked about keep them keep them off of some things that that may otherwise impact them and it gives them some something to channel what they do so they've had some talented players um you know they've had some talented players they had a punter their punter man he's punted like almost 100 yards I don't know if you guys saw that uh from the HBCU game day tw- Twitter account um in their game against Southern and so again it you know there's always going to be I think there's always going to be a place for them you know, a parent, I, you know, and they've been able to keep their football program going um, for all of these years um, so far. So enough money to survive, to pay a coach. I think their coach actually is uh, the father of I think his twin sons, play at John C. Smith, uh, Coach Newman. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's, I think that's a place for VUL. You know, some people think them as another member of the CIAA. Um, I think you're much likely to see a Coach Coaxham and his. And his school at Bluefield State uh, come back to the CIAA, and uh, from what I'm understanding, uh, that that may not be that may be sooner rather than later. Um, and so I, I think VUL kind of you know in that space where they don't have a lot of restrictions and NCAA restrictions, uh, I think there's a space for them, and I think they'll continue to uh, keep it going. I just dropped a uh, I just dropped a quote tweet in our I guess the chat for this particular. Uh, Twitter space of that um, of that that punt that you shared, you know that was that is an amazing punt. <laughs> I was kind of quietly walk, watching it in the background, and uh, yeah, definitely I recommend giving that a look. See, yeah, um, you know, so it's again, there's so many people that want to play college football that have a desire, and you know, um, you know, they have shown some improvements um, so against some of the MEAC teams that they played. Um, you know, they did, uh, I think their loss to Virginia, I'm sorry, Delaware state was maybe 34, 19. Um, you know, uh, and there were a couple other games that were closer. Uh, and so, you know, I think that there's a place for them. I, you know, but I also think that if you have playoff aspirations, uh, then they're not a team that you should play. So, uh, you know, at North Carolina central is, um, North Carolina central is now five, two after their loss to, uh, South Carolina State, and they need South Carolina to lose twice, and they need to win out to have the chance to go to Celebration Bowl. If not, then their only other hope is the is the uh, NCAA season. And, uh, you know, you just don't know because they beat North Carolina and may end up being the Big South champion. 
um, you know, and uh, they and they also had the win over New Hampshire, you know, which is a top twenty-five team. But then they also had the game, the D two game against what's his own state, and uh, and also the game against VUL, and you know, those are two of their wins. So if you take those off, you know, uh, you know, we don't know how kind the, the committee will be to that. Florida A and M did play a D two last year. And still managed to get in, but that was one sub FCS opponent. So, I think if you're a, if you're a, a division a division one school in the MEAC that may or or in the SWAC that wants to get in the playoffs, you probably don't want to play them. And uh, you know, maybe Chris can tell you about if you're a if you're a CIAA team and you play them like Virginia Union uh, should you know uh, they they played them, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, there's a place for them. It's the same issue with Division Two, because only Division Two games count for playoffs. So, you know, with the CIAA having a ten-game regular season, you know, Virginia Union in particular, who played VOL VUL to start the year, had to basically run the table uh, to you know be assured to get in, because otherwise, you start having, you know one or two losses and you only have a 10 game schedule, you're kind of, you're really behind the curve. Um, so even those FCS wins that any division two school may have does not count uh, towards the division two playoffs. So, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing there having a VUL as a filler um, doesn't do you any favors when it comes to playoff aspirations at the, at the division two level. I did, I did want oh, to, I did want to, I did want to mention, you know, with VUL in particular, I mean, they're one of the rare programs that have had somebody go to the NFL. There was an article on game day many years ago about uh, Keith Lewis, who was a defensive back and actually did sign a contract. And I think he did play, I think he played some preseason games um, mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yeah, I remember that vaguely. Yeah, so I mean, they've had some some success despite not being a uh, not even being an NCAA team. You know, as as to the question about you know the other private HBCUs, you know, one of the interesting things that I've explained to individuals um, who follow Division Two football is, um, you know, there's there's certainly a higher degree of um, athletes that. Um, as a percentage of the student population in the private schools, and it's not just HBCUs, it's also at some of the um, uh, other private schools as well. But I think the bigger difference is um, when you start to see um, a, com- a a athletic director who's a who's a head coach of another sport of a sport as well, and you see that at like Saint Augustine's, for example where, you know, the track coach, a longtime track coach was also the athletic director. Now it's the football coach who's the athletic director. And then Tuskegee has that same issue with uh, Reginald Ruffin as well, who is in that role, although he has said that he's not going to coach football after this year. Um, And they're going to try to find a, a, a head coach and separate those roles out. But that is a common issue where you do have, um, an AD who is also a, a um, coach and, you know, having that, that kind of like split uh, attention, you know, it's kind of like being a, a jack of all trades, master of none type situation that doesn't really benefit. It's cost cutting and it doesn't really benefit the program as a whole. 
That makes sense. It's an interesting situation. And I, I really, you know, you guys have a, good, a lot of good insight on it. One thing I do realize we've gone about now, we never mentioned it. I literally not once, but it, we've got to college football game day. <laughs> you know, I mean, th this is kind of the week, right? I mean, I remember the, the, the FAMU show. I remember seeing the rattlesnake hit going on Corso. So how big of a deal is this? And I know, Stephen, you said you're heading down to Jackson. You got to you got to lay the scene for us. Oh yeah, I mean this, this is a huge deal. Um, you know, I, I am old enough to remember the FAMU situation, but I I just don't recall it. Uh, so I mean I have known about it for Dude, quite. Dude, you're making time, me but, feel uh, so old. I can't believe the way you phrased it. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I remember that. I, I remember it. I, I just I just don't remember. Like it just I don't know what was going on in my life that I just didn't know. I, I don't remember it. I don't know. Maybe I was just so engrossed. <laughs> I was know. 28, so that's probably the why. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I just, I, I missed it. But, but no, it's, it's a big deal. Um, I did go to the college football. I did go to college game day last year when it was MEAC SWAC. Obviously, that's in Atlanta. That's a neutral site. They've also had it with the Bayou Classic, I believe, when it was in Houston. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see it uh, in person at a, uh, you know, uh, you know in, in a city. You know, uh, the campus, the so the the vet is not actually on the campus at Jackson State, but it's not far. Uh, so I'm excited to see it there. Uh, I'm a little bummed. I'm hearing it's going to rain. But definitely oh, looks like we, we oh, there we hear. Yeah, I know because I know Bellhaven was trying to make a they moved their game, I think, to Friday, didn't they? Because they were hoping to maybe get someone from game day to, to come and uh, see them. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh it's it's um you know hopefully you know the, the rain will hold off or whatever. But e what anyway? I mean, I think it's really uh huge. Um, you know, you know, again, when I started game day in 2012, you know, um, you know, one of the things that you know when I was watching college game day and, and you know I was like, man, this would be great. You know, you know, HBCUs don't have really anything like this, and it would be great if we did. Uh, and so, you know, to see, you know, and, and, you know, you start getting into the weeds and doing the work and, you know, you're, you're like, well, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. So, you know, but it, that, you know, that's great. It, it made a, it made a lane for us, but, uh, to see it come to fruition and happen now is pretty amazing. Obviously, uh, Deion Sanders, uh, and his guys, you know, he's, uh, he's a football unicorn. He was on the field and now as a head coach as well, I mean, you know, you think about it in the last couple weeks they've been on good morning america they've been on 60 he's been on good morning america 60 minutes now college game day um and so it's just uh it's just the right i think it's the right school the right coach the right time and the right atmosphere um you know uh, i went to the first uh my first visit to jackson was Deion sanders first game coach Prime's first game uh against edward waters and uh we're still coming out of the pandemic we hadn't had hbcu football in since 2019 and so there was, uh, you know, there was just a lot of, it was a little bit of, it, it wasn't quite what it was. It was, there was a lot of excitement and buzz, but it was kind of like it hadn't really developed yet. And then I went back in December when the, when the SWAC fall championship was there and it was just electric, you know, it was like, it was literally like an FBS game. Uh, but you know, the, the, you know, the HBCU crowd, I mean, just, you know, folks out there, uh, you know, just really large numbers because of the stadium size that the vet has. Uh, and they were just, you know, excited about what was going on. And so I imagine that, uh, you know, with all the success they've been having, they're just coming off homecoming. They had a great crowd there. Um, I'd imagine it would be the same thing. So I think, uh, you know, I, in my humble opinion, 
Um, I think college game day couldn't have picked a better HBCU at a better time right now than to highlight uh, Jackson State and what they're doing, as well as you know, it's it's always it's a and it's a great rivalry game. Um, you know, a lot of people know Southern plays um, plays Grambling in the Bayou Classic, and and that's their in-state rival, and it's kind of a friendly buddy buddy rivalry but you know from what i picked up from my friends from southern and now you know on the jackson state side this one isn't as friendly this one isn't quite as friendly it's not as buddy buddy um you know um this is a, a game that uh two schools who have uh large fat proud fan bases um really great bands uh and great football tradition both of them have uh you know multiple uh pro football hall of famers and there's so much tradition so many great coaches and Always on a lot of people's calendar, oh, whether it's for band or for football or for all of the above. And now, you know, you have that and you throw in uh, what happened last year when they played in Baton Rouge. Again, that went down to the wire. Shador Sanders as a freshman coming down and, and, and winning the game um, in, in dramatic fashion. His dad on the sidelines. There's so many different storylines and plot lines that uh, it's a really compelling game, I think. Uh, they chose correctly, especially with you know JSU continuing to win. I think Southern is a is a worthy opponent, and uh, you know uh, I expect it to be a a real gritty game. And you know, um, so I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think uh, we're I think the country is in for a treat. Uh, hopefully, they flexed it from uh, ESPN uh, three to ESPN something with a connection. Because yeah, I heard that was pretty bad. I, I was yeah. hoping that because I think it's still I think it's still on ESPN three. I was kind of that's like my only knock is that it hasn't i'm not sure if it's it's been moved to a little more widely uh, available station but i gotta ask you i'm not asking you to put on a mascot head but who who you think has got the edge in this one? Oh, <laughs> hey chris i think we lost steven there again um I, I what are was, your thoughts I, I was gonna go with jackson state in this one and you know southern certainly has um, a very formidable defense, I think, to slow Jackson State down. And I think, you know, Campbell kind of laid a bit of a game plan on how to slow um, JSU down because, you know, JSU was able to march down the field, but then they they would just get so bogged down um, as you got into the red zone and had to settle for, for field goals. So, yeah, I think Southern may be able to do a little bit of the same thing, but you know, at the same time, um, JSU is kind of a, you know, they, they seem to be a, a little patient and, and, you know, if you just let the door open just a little bit, um, they're able to, to kind of squeak through. So I think, I think Jackson State has a little bit of an advantage um, going into that game. One of the fascinating things, one of the stories that caught my attention in all of this, because we were in August when we had our, uh, Stephen came on for the, the first show we had on, HBCU game day and just kind of the scene that, you know, we asked about, you know, Dion and the effect he's had on HBCU sports. And that's prior to how this season's worked out because, you know, now, you know, being undefeated so far, bringing college football game day, it's hard to, <laughs> I don't think it can be overstated at this point. I mean, and I'm not trying to, to put words, but I mean, it, it's striking to me as someone, you know, who's a massive fan of college football and has been, following all the levels at every time. But the story that really fascinated me is Jackson, the city is like trying to apparently redo the stadium or build a new one. And that's been a topic that I know 
because obviously the city of Jackson's been having, you know, some serious, you know, infrastructure issues that they need to address, like a lot of major American cities. And there's a whole, you know, I don't want to undercut that. But while we see if Stephen, I know he's trying to probably come back on, but Chris, I've got you up here. I'd love to ask you actually a different topic. So one of the schools that said they were going to add college football and then kind of backed off a little bit was Talladega. And they used to have football back in the day. Do we know where they're at there and their process? Because I know they're NAIA. They're not D2, and I know that's your speciality. But I know their goal was, at least at one point, to eventually kind of work their way back into D2. Where are they in that process? It's been pretty quiet over there, honestly. And I think it's still sort of in feasibility study because, you know, football is such an expensive sport relative to all the others and there's a reason why you do have some HBCUs who just don't sponsor it because it's just so expensive and I think it's probably wise that they really think about and take their time with it because we've just seen um, a number of HBCUs who have attempted to do football and and it not really work out in a spectacular way I mean whether you talk about you know, Morris Brown and their debacles at the Division One level. Um, Stillman is a really good example who had actually a pretty decent football team. And not only did they drop the football team, but they also dropped down to NAIA. Uh, Payne is another good example um, who brought football back. And they, I don't I don't think it lasted two years. And then they dropped it again. Um, so because it was just so expensive. So you know, I, I think it's wise for them to, to continue to, to, to think about it if that's the direction they want to go in, but really consider, you know, the, the financial implications because it is a very expensive sport. Absolutely. I remember paying, you know, that they were really only there briefly. And it, exactly. I think that's that's one of the big difficulties. And that's why, you know, so many programs, it's much easier to feel the basketball team, not because, you know, just because there's fewer players, there's there's less equipment. And that's why you see a lot of, you know, it, the way it's funny, you know, with, again, I have lots of respect for what they're trying to do at BUL. But the way I first came across them was back in like 2015. I was doing some research on some of the teams that were kind of not really colleges, you know, and they've always been in existence, but it was a, a football team that had existed, you know, uh, and they're no longer around. And, you know, it was like quasi online classes, but it was really a team and it was unusual for football. But of course, in hoops, you see that a, a good deal. You see that a good amount because it's so easy to, to feel the team versus, you know, football program. And teams are trying to fill spots. I get it. I mean, especially if you're a football team or a college basketball team, you want to get home games, you know, sometimes it, outside of conference. And people don't realize the value of conference play. The value of being at a conference is having all those guaranteed games. And absolutely, you know, you see, I'm always impressed by that the hustle of, of some of these athletic directors to fill and coaches, obviously coaches are a huge part of it to fill those schedules and, and build those, those programs out to all of that. Yeah. I, I kind of want to talk on that a little bit because the, the conference issue is, um, and I know coach Coxum is feeling the, the burden of that being a division two independent, um, the, the conference issue and, and is, is really huge, and, and the CIAA is a really good example of that. Before this year, they, were, um, they played three out-of-conference games and seven conference games. And the issues that, that coaches and athletic staffs have had to try to fill um, schedules 
um, to field three non-conference games um, had meant so much that the uh, has so much of a burden that the conference moved to an eight-game conference schedule and two out-of-conference games. And even then, you still had issues where um, you had a couple of teams that played out-of-conference this, this particular year in one of those two out-of-conference slots that were in-conference opponents, so they just didn't count for conference play. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is that when you have a situation um, where – um, individuals are trying to find a um, um, they're trying to find games it's a, it can be a bit of a struggle and even you know there are teams that are they really um, um, a victim of their own success you know we've seen uh, I, I actually made a quote a tweet earlier today I was kind of pondering well what teams have the CIW played? in recent years and the range of schools that they're playing now is much wider than it probably has been in a very long time. Uh, we kind of saw like um, Bowie state uh, playing McKendry, which is in, in Illinois, Chowan. And I think Bowie state actually traveled out there in a home and home game, Saginaw Valley state and Bowie state were in a home and home um, before the pandemic. Bowie State was actually going to travel to Texas A&M Commerce, who was still in Division Two at the time, um, and play because they couldn't find anybody. Um, you know, the Great Lakes, um, where Grand Valley and Ferris State is, they've actually reached out, and, and Wayne State scheduled the game. Um, so, you know, with Shaw. So, I mean, there's so many um, – there's just so many games that – these schools are having to find ways to fill in that schedule that, you know, the value of conference play is just so big. It's such a big deal. Coach Coxum, I know you came up here. We'd love to hear from your thoughts. Hey guys. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on and um, always thank you for the constant um, positive support and feedback you give our, give our program. Um, definitely know exactly what you guys are talking about. Cause you know, we're, we're living that life right now and uh, kind of twofold things. I want to speak on it. Um, is obviously you guys are hitting the nail on the head of exactly how expensive the sport is and it's hard to maintain it, you know, to get it going. Um, things that are vital is just having the, the you know, uh, type of president that we have that is fully behind and, you know, is leading the charge behind getting the program. You have to have that support because, again, um, it's very expensive and it takes it takes everybody in, in the institution to uh, – to really be behind it to get things going because there's a lot of moving parts to it. And, um, and, you know, we've had that support, uh, support in two years and, you know, uh, you did a great job of setting us up to where, you know, we can come in. Cause again, you know, you're building these programs. Usually it takes three years before you're even getting to play games. And I know even in that extent, you know, you're, you're in a position where you're struggling to be competitive because, you know, you're, you've been a pretty young group and, and trying to build it. And, you know, we got ours up and running in eight months. And, uh, you know, they gave us great support in order to do that. And the guys were very excited about it. And, and you know, obviously we were able to win some ball games the last two years. Um, but as the, schedule, the scheduling piece has been a bear, um, you know, trying to work around, you know, everyone else getting their, their conference games in and, and finding holes in it and, and where you can slide in and fit in. And, uh, you know, it's been a kind of a, a worldwide thing for us. Um, 
And you know, then there's some there's some uh you know, some hiccups to that, you know, in each of the last two years we've we've had a game get canceled on us, um, you know, due to various reasons. And uh, you know, you, you never want to do that and and uh you know it's tough. And uh, you know, we, we you know we have a school coming all the way from California to play us this year. Um, so it, it yeah, the bottom line is it takes a lot to be involved with it. It takes a lot of support on it, um, you know, and that's why we're excited about the the opportunity of of uh, hopefully getting that acceptance in the CIAA because um, it's a it's a really perfect fit for us, uh, you know, regional wise. Again, we're only about two and a half hours from Charlotte, uh, so particularly all the schools on the south side of the conference, you know, I think the farthest trip would be maybe four hours, something like that. Uh, it fits in perfectly there. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we were in CIA many, many years ago when the program was, so, was originally going and just that ability to compete and, and have your guy be able to compete for, you know, uh, national accolades and conference, you know, accolades and obviously as a program compete for championships. And um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're hopefully we'll get that get that nod here very soon. And, uh, you know, that'll definitely help us in building our schedules um, so we don't have to worry about, like I said, those 10 games and. And now just be able to worry about the first couple that start the year. So, um, again, thank you guys for for always welcoming us into into these conversations and and continue to uh, you know uh, give us the the positive pub. And I, I really appreciate you guys. Go Big Blue! Thank you for joining us, Coach. We really appreciate that. And that, that was some great insight on all of that. I mean, <laughs> it's such it's one of those things where I think a lot of fans don't appreciate the behind the scenes, especially at a program like Bluefield State, trying to put together the program as an independent and how it isn't just sort of handed out to them, you know, like it is on the, you know, especially when you're in a conference or in like the FBS level and maybe at a program where people are just banging down the door because they, <laughs> they want to play over there. Yeah, 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 and you're, you're absolutely right. Like I said, it's the, um, even, you know, as long as I've been in the, in the sport and the profession, I got a greater appreciation of everything that everyone does, you know, Again, starting this thing from scratch, you know, I had to order all the equipment, um, design the uniforms. You know, we designed our, our mascot and logo um, and just the things that you go in it that, uh, you know, had a greater, even a greater appreciation than I already did for equipment managers. Because um, especially that first year I was going through stuff and, and I like, oh, snap, I forgot to order, you know, mouthpieces. <laughs> you know, these certain little things that, you know, is, is, is mandatory that you need. And you solely forget because, you know, in, in the normal coaching cycles, you don't think about those things. You know, they, they show up. Um, and, you know, it's a testament to the staff that I have around me are very detailed guys and certain guys, hey, coach, uh, did you order these? And I'm like, nope, I'm going to call and get an order right now. Um, so, again, it's a lot of ins and outs. But I think it also has allowed uh, myself and our staff to really understand everything that goes involved with it and uh, when it comes to the actual football stuff and the things outside of it. Cause again, we're, we're dealing with a institution that hadn't had football in 40 years and we were literally the subdramatic experts. So being able to teach them how to do certain things. And I just think that it make, makes us better coaches and outside of coaching, make us better advocates for our, for our student athletes that we're bringing in. Cause now we can speak much deeper on a lot of different things that a lot of coaches never really worry about and talk about. Uh, so we can talk real deeply in it. And and uh, and give our give our young people and their families um, a better understanding of of what they're getting into, uh, not only on the field but more importantly off the field, which is our ultimate goal is to get the in our in our case get these young men to get their degrees and then go on to be 
uh, you know, productive citizens and leaders uh, ac- across the across the country and the world. Chris, I know you wanted to chime in. Yeah, I, I just want to mention, you know, the Division Two landscape is particularly not very. Um, uh, it's particularly brutal when you're a Division Two independent, and uh, we've seen that issue with like USC Pembroke, who struggled to field games, and then they ended up getting into an alliance with the South Atlantic for a couple of years um, to try to get games on their schedule before joining the Mountain East, um, which is a conference that is mostly uh, West Virginia and Ohio schools and one school in Maryland. Uh, None of, you know, with none of those schools being anywhere close to them and with USC Pembroke not they're there for just football because they have their own home for all of their other sports. And and they had to go to that length just to get games on the schedule. And, you know, uh, in the case of, of Bluefield, the issue that they kind of ran into is the Mountain East only plays one out-of-conference game. Um, the the PSAC, the Pennsylvania Conference, only plays one out-of-conference game. The CIAA plays two out-of-conference games. The South Atlantic plays, I think, two, one or, two or three out-of-conference games. And they've actually had teams join their conference this year. So the, the landscape for a Division II independent trying to get games on the schedule is very, very rough after, I would say, the first three uh, games of the season, uh, which is kind of what – I think Coach Coulson was kind of discussing earlier when he's having to go to he and his staff are having to go, you know, to great lengths just to put together a, a, a schedule that's more than five games. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. You know, Coach, while, while you're up here, I have one more follow up that I wanted to just sort of ask. How do you sell the program to prospective recruits? Because that's always an interesting perspective because every coach has their own touch. And you have a very interesting situation and a very unique one. So what do you what do you do to sell recruits out there to come join your program? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I try to stay away from the word sell um, just because just by doing that, that that could lead you down a, a path of, of 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 trying to convince. And um, my thing is, I don't try to convince kids of of to come play for us. Um, I, I talk about what we're about, what our focus is. And, and, you know, what we're trying to do. And our number one thing is to to give these young men uh, another avenue to, one, go play the game they love uh, beyond high school and, more importantly, get their education and to go on to be the best best husbands, fathers, and leaders they can be. And and we talk about how we, do, how we go about doing that. Um, as for our particular program, it's all about, uh, you know, the, the things that we talked about is this, being, you know, being part of something special and unique, um, you know, uh, you know, we lean pretty heavily on the fact that, hey, we're pretty confident that, you know, this is the only program that you're talking to that you get to say is truly get to be yours. Um, you'll be the first ones to, you know, wear these uniforms, the first ones to, uh, you know, be in the, be in our new dorms and be in our new locker room, uh, to set records and basically be able to, uh, you know, set the foundation and, and be like, yep, this is literally my program. You're not walking into someone else's traditions and, and history and legacy. Um, you get to be that history and legacy. And, you know, 20 years from now, 25 years, you come back um, and, and, you know, they're honoring the, the, two, the 20, uh, 21 team. 
and you know they're rolling my old butt out there in my walker or my wheelchair and 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 say hey this is the program this is the these are the young men that that took a that took a leap of faith to bring this program back and now look what's here now we'll get what's built um he said your names are going to be in the history books in the record books you're going to be the ones that people are talking about and that's what we lean heavily on and and you know our thing is you know our, our recruiting process is different uh, we don't we don't try to back kids in their corner and 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 say hey you know we're offering you, you you got two weeks to let us know something it's hey it's an informational piece where you know we, we pride ourselves of being a very straightforward and um you know honest program uh, and not not honest is the word i'm looking for but you know straight lace and letting them know what we're preparing you for um we're not gonna sit there and tell you how great you are um because again if you weren't a very good football player we wouldn't be talking to you anyway so it's for you to get to know us us to get to know you and do you want to be a part of what we're building and and where we want to lead you and uh and that way um, every kid's going to come in with a certain thing in their mindset. Um, they know they're going to get coached hard, but they also know um, they're, they're going to get, uh, we're going to care about them. We're going to love them, love on them. And uh, it's going to be a family thing, a brotherhood. Um, Cause that's what I get from my, my time as being an army football player and the brotherhood that I have with them. And I try to bring that to our guys Say, Hey, we're truly a family and you're, you're going to be inviting these guys to your wedding. You're going to be reaching out to your coaches to, to uh, tell us about your things, it's a lifetime bond, and uh, and it's even for the guys that decide to leave. There are guys that left our program last year, but they still know they can call me, text me, or any of our coaches if they if they need something. And I think that's what we do. I think we just do that differently than most people. And I think that resonated with a lot of kids, and they want to be a part of something special like that. Wow, sign me up if you need a out of shape forty three year old attorney to go. I don't know. Be a tackle <laughs> dummy. Sign me up. <laughs> I got oh, to I I I check your grade first. I got to check your uh, grade yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Hey, you're a lawyer, so you're probably pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, uh, Stephen, by the way, I apologize. Have you been able to come back up? We lost you for a bit there, so we kind of we got a little sidetracked there. Are you, are you still up? Yeah, I, I hope I'm in a more stable place now. So, um, no problem. That'll, that'll help. Well, you guys can hear me well? Yes, we can. You know, as we kind of head into this weekend, you know, Stephen, I think I'm trying to actually remember. I think the last question I was trying to ask you before you kind of vanished there was what was your call for this weekend's game in Jackson? Or actually, was it that or were we talking about the stadium? I think I was actually asking what your thoughts were on Jackson. You know, they're suddenly thinking about improve. I can't remember if they're improving or replacing the stadium all because of how good things are going at, at Jackson State. Well, yeah. So the so the talk uh, from you know for years at Jackson State has been about uh, you know getting um, getting uh, a stadium, uh, smaller stadium, uh, still a good size for FCS, but getting one of those um, you know on uh, of JSU's own. Uh, they are they operate the they operate the vet, but uh, you know it's a little bit different there, and so that's been something they've been uh, you know trying to push for a while. It's it's gotten. Uh, certain places in the, um, you know, in the um, in the state legislature, and, and unfortunately, it's died for Jackson State. Um, you know, just earlier this year, um, you know, they had uh, they voted it down, and then, um, you know, and then a couple weeks a couple weeks ago, when the Brett Favre fiasco uh, came reared its head up again, uh, the governor Tate Reeves kind of uh, you know dogpiled on in an attempt to deflect. 
from what was going on with uh, at USM, tried to dogpile on top of Jackson State, talking about, you know, he doesn't support them having a stadium for the same reason that he wouldn't support the public doing their own stadium. So there's there's a lot of Mississippi politics that are involved with it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, the city of Jackson, um, you know, they support a resolution supporting it. But, you know, obviously the powers that be um, in the state house uh, have a much larger say. I think it's really just a gesture of them showing that, you know, they really uh, appreciate what Coach Prime has done, shining a spotlight on the program and and the entire city. So. um, So, yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's so funny, too. I don't even want to make it sound like that's something that Jackson State being you know, an FCS program, a solid program right now, but not one that's, you know, the cachet of, you know, Ole Miss or or Southern Miss or, or Mississippi State. But at the same time, I mean, I from my own personal experience being an alum of, you know, reverse Southern California, the L.A. Coliseum was everyone was always asking, like, why is the L.A. Coliseum kind of sort of behind the other Pac-12 programs? And it was for many years. And it's because the same thing. It was a government owned stadium. And they had this weird space where the governor, it had like a board of nine people. Three were from the city, three were from the county and three were from the state. So eventually they ran it into the ground so far that the state may or all three of them cut a deal beyond their board members and just said, USC, you get the master lease. And that was only like, it was basically right before they renovated the Coliseum. That's basically why they were able to even get the Olympics again is because suddenly that from what I understand there, it was like the politics where we're not going to, we're just going to do the basic amount of maintenance on the LA Coliseum and hope an NFL team will move in. And then of course the NFL comes and then builds a brand new stadium, which is, you know, welcome to the NFL, right? You know, they're about to compete with college football in every day of the week. It sounds like so. You know, it's it's a mercenary business over there. They're, they're, that's all I got to say about that. But um, gosh, you know, guys, it's been 90 minutes, so I don't want to keep you guys forever. But I do want to hear, you know, obviously the big game this weekend undoubtedly is Southern at Jackson State. That's just, you know, it's college football game day. Everyone's looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like. I'm going to be tuning in in the morning. I know most of, you know, the college football universe will be just to see how exciting that's going to be and, and the hype that's behind it, and, you know. But what other games this weekend have got you too interested, you know, or any of you interested? I mean, Coach, if you want to, to chime in, I know you know, <laughs> have a little bit of bias there. But but which games are you excited about heading into this weekend? I will start off with uh, Virginia Union and Toan um, because um, Toan has one division loss or one conference loss and Virginia Union is undefeated. So the winner, if Virginia Union wins that game, then they are the, the Northern Division champions and are going to the uh, the CIAA championship game. So that one is such a huge game. Now, if Toan wins, then it gets really interesting the following week um, with uh, Virginia State, Virginia Union. So there's a lot to settle. Um, this weekend in in the Northern Division in the CIAA, and, and that's the game I'm watching. I, I was gonna say, yeah, for me, obviously, I mean, I'll be Howie at Jackson uh, Southern. It's um, you know, as, as I was saying, uh, I think I, I, I kind of talked for so long I didn't even know that I wasn't on anymore. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, that's always uh, you know, Jackson State and Southern. Um, you know, they're a rivalry that it, unless you're within. HBCU sports and even so even really more so within the SWAC you may not really understand that type of rivalry you know everyone knows that Southern plays uh Grambling at the Bayou Classic and that's kind of like a, a friendly 
you know, brotherly, like, you know, you know, family type rivalry, sibling rivalry. And it's like Jackson State's like the guy across the street that they really don't like. Uh, and so um, that game is always very physical, very competitive, uh, not only with the, the football, but also with the bands as well. So there's uh, so much. Uh, and then you add in, you know, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and and uh, the the attention that Jackson State has gotten and, and college game day being there. And uh, it's just uh, it set the stage for a really epic game. And then you think about the game they had last year in Baton Rouge. I think all of those things uh, have everyone, uh, you know, hoping that this will be a game that, um, you know, lives up to the hype. I'm sure both coaches want to make sure that, that there's a lot of space between them. But, you know, as someone that will be there at the game, you know, you hope for some you hope for some some good football, some solid competition and, uh, you know, an exciting finish. So, you know, we'll see. But, um, you know, the last time, you know, we you know, you never really know with Jackson State. You know, you thought when they played FAMU, it would be a, a you know a tight game. And I mean, they came and blew them out of the water. And then, you know, they're playing, you know, Alabama State team and. You know, nobody, you know, they had a couple wins, but nobody was expecting them to give them a run for their money. And, and then they, and, and then, you know, it's a tight game. Tennessee State is another game that was a little bit tighter than people thought as well. So, um, you know, Jackson State, you don't really know if they play a complete game. I think they're really going to be hard to beat. But, um, you know, if they, if they get spotty and, uh, and, and sloppy with the ball, I think it could be a very interesting, uh, evening. But I'm going to go afternoon, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Jackson since I'll be in Jackson with no security. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a safe bet. You know, coach, what game are you gonna be watching this weekend? Um, definitely we'll we'll get my eyes on the uh like everyone else, the Jackson State and uh fam game. You know, definitely want to check that out. Um and you know, across the board, you know, just you know, uh there's a lot of great football out there. Uh, you know, seeing you know, seeing Virginia Union play. Um, you know, I have a good friend my good friend is the uh OC there and and uh, and Mike Morita, so I'm very happy for him and what he's doing and you know watching that watching that guy, uh, that the Byers kid just just play ball is, is phenomenal. Um, but you know I'm gonna try to catch a little bit of everything, but obviously I want to want to see that uh, that game in the college game day environment. Obviously it's great for HBCU football, um, so that that'll probably be the number one on the list uh, when it comes to. Uh, our HBCU world and obviously another, another, and I'm always keep an eye on my black Knights army. So that's just my personal thing there. But, uh, but in what we're talking about, I definitely will be checking out that, uh, that HBCU, uh, uh, you know, getting the shine that it deserves on a national stage and college game. I think that's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. You know, coach, I had, uh, one of the, t- one of our team that runs RCFB, he is a, a West point grad. So I told oh, him, okay. like, oh, my gosh, we have a we, we got somebody who played for them. <laughs> and he's about he's, he's almost a little older than you are. He's a, he's the oldest of us all. He was he fought in Gulf War one. So, you know, he, what, he, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I kind of some of our guys don't like to necessarily throw him out there publicly, but I'll send uh-huh. you a DM. With oh, yeah, info. yeah. Send, yeah, it, for, for yeah, sure. I, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but you know, I, I do. I mean, you know, <laughs> some of us do. Some of us don't. It's always kind of like, uh, you know, go as you wish. Go as you wish. Yeah. You know, it's so yep. funny. Speaking of Road Warriors, I mean, because you guys are hosting Lincoln, you know, to, as your regular season finale. Yep. And that's a team that's been going ever because I live here in the Twin Cities, which mm-hmm. is always a disappointment because I want to go to an HBCU game, but eh, not a whole lot in Minnesota. Um, right. <laughs> but they, you know, they came out to play St. Thomas, you know, which yep. is one of those teams that kind of, you know, they 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 had their own funny story about having to jump from D three to non scholarship 
uh, uh, FCS. But that's a fascinating program. How does that kind of a schedule come together? Because I'm really curious to hear from from folks like yourself who've been working with them because they're they're being really I mean, and, and you know, the hustle. I mean, they're being yeah. really aggressive about playing all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you know, they kind of reached out to us, uh, you know, when we were uh, planning, you know, trying to get the schedule together back in early January. And, um, you know, when we got it, I heard of Lincoln. I was like, Lincoln, I said, I don't think they're open right now. And because obviously I was thinking, you know, Lincoln and PA just off the, off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then we started talking to them and, you know, it's kind of things like, hey, we, we want to come out and try to, you know, get it going and. You know, we're, we're helping them uh, cover some of that stuff to get them out there to play because we both wanted to get a game on, and they're a young program. And I believe every one of their games has been on the road. Um, very talented group. Um, they, they, they got they got guys that have played. Uh, they got some guys that were uh, at um, FBS-level schools, so they got some guys that are talented. Um, so it's definitely be a challenge for our guys uh, to play a, a, really, a really good team that has some talent. Again, the record doesn't show it, um, but, you know, they got some talent there, and um, you know, we're going to need to play our best game of the year. And, you know, we got our butts kicked last week, um, handedly, you know, one of those games where, you know, every everything that could go wrong went wrong and, uh, you know, made mistakes. And Allen capitalized on everything that we, we screwed up on. And uh, even though we caught some turnovers ourselves, we weren't able to capitalize. But um, the great thing about my group of kids, man, you know, we had a great week. This probably had our best week of practice this week. Uh, you know, I, you know, we came back, we licked our wounds on the bus ride back and got back to work on Tuesday. And, you know, we had a great week and, um, you know, that's what you love to see, particularly from a bunch of kids that are freshmen and sophomores. And, um, and, and with that game the season finale and, um, we, we have, we have three seniors. So it'll be cool to have my first senior day for those guys who, uh, who jumped on board, you know, from the get go. So I'm excited about that. And that'll be a special moment for myself. As well as them, um, to 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 um, you know show our gratitude for those three young men who who um, decided to jump on this journey. So, um, but yeah, it's gonna be fun next week, and you know I get to enjoy the games. And bye weeks are always rough, just because you enjoy that time away a little bit. But combined with not playing the way we we know we can play last week, and just once you know the Saturdays roll around and everyone else is playing, you know you wish you were out there and you get get your juices going. So. Um, I'm excited for my guys. I know we'll be ready to come back, uh, get back to work this week and, and try to end this second season out. Uh, we get this one that'll put us at, um, that'll put us at five and three and then I'll be nine wins in, in two years in the first two years of, of a brand new program with a very young team. Um, so that's something we're really striving towards. And, uh, we, we think, you know, we we'll, we'll be pretty proud of. That would be something exceptional. I mean, I've been, I've enjoyed this. I mean, Listening to you and following the team and the program, and um, best of luck to you. You know, obviously it's a bye week, so I hope you have a great, you know, a great relaxing weekend <laughs> and and some great practice in between. But thanks for joining us, Coach. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And just so you know, I'll let you know right now, you got you have a free pass to come on down next year to any game you want. So come on out and check us out. Absolutely. Well, you know what, guys? It's been, um, again, it's been over, oh my gosh, we're almost at an hour and 45. So I'm going to slowly wrap this up. But I want to give everyone an opportunity to just kind of let our audience know where they can find you. I guess, you know, Chris, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so you can find me um, in uh, various places. So here on Twitter, uh, at D2KFerg. Also, I do a weekly column um, um, that covers the upcoming games on D2Football.com. 
and and then I also do like intermittent um, articles on HBCU game day as well. And Stephen, you are the whole reason we organized this to begin with. I'd love tell tell our tell everyone where to find you and your work and and all of that. Yeah, well, uh, first off, thanks for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to let the uh, compliment. But, yeah, just wanted to uh, – so you can follow me, of course, on this account, at Stephen J. Gaither. Um, it's my personal account. Uh, and then also, of course, uh, at HBCU Game Day on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, most importantly, HBCUGameDay.com, where you can read all our articles and watch our, uh, watch our visual content. We've also added a scoreboard recently, uh, so I'm really excited about that, which also – um, which has all the stats, so you can literally get everything um, that you need from HBCUGameDay.com. I'm uh, really excited about that, as well as some of the other things we're doing. Um, on sat uh, Friday nights at 7 uh, Eastern, you can catch our show, The uh, No Huddle. Uh, we'll preview, uh, we'll look ahead to this week in Black College Football. Um, it's presented by Nissan, so again, big shout out to them. And uh, I appreciate everybody for Everybody that's ever clicked on the story uh, and, uh, and, and continue to do so, so we keep doing this and uh, and do it at an even higher level. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, and for all of you out there, HBCU Game Day has been one of my go-to sites. Gosh, since probably 2015 or so when I started really getting into. Well, I, I started helping with this account in 2013. That's how I learned how Twitter worked. But it's something that I always found valuable, and the Twitter account and the website especially, and obviously Steven's own account has been extremely valuable to me. All of that said, you know, on behalf of myself, Bob Ekhayeri, on behalf of my guest, Stephen J. Gaither, the founder and head of HBCUGameDay.com, on behalf of Chris, on behalf of Herbert who joined us earlier, on behalf of Coach Coaxum, all of you who've listened, we really appreciate it. And thank you for supporting all of us in all of this. I just wanted to say how much we value you. So on that note, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs>